Welcome to the Legal One podcast, brought to you by Legal One, the leader in school law training in the state of New Jersey. Legal One is part of the NJPSA and FEA family, so we are thrilled to be offering this podcast to you as a way to help you gain a greater understanding of critical legal issues. We want to provide you with convenient, easy access to essential information. Each episode is 30 minutes or less, so it provides a timely way for you to get information. In each episode, we're going to be reviewing critical legal principles based on case law, statute, regulation, or other key guidance. We'll talk about why that issue matters today and how the law has evolved. We'll talk about key steps in working with parents and other critical stakeholders to positively address the issues in question and know how to get a greater level of understanding of these issues. So let's get started. And thank you so much for joining us for the Legal One podcast. Welcome. This is Mike Kelber, the coordinator for online course development at Legal One. And welcome to today's podcast, Understanding Changes in New Jersey's Anti Bullying Law for 2022 2023. This podcast is part of a series of Legal One podcasts for the fall 2022 season, dealing with hot issues in school law. Overall podcasts will look at emerging legal issues and changing state and federal law on a wide range of topics, along with tips for proactively reducing potential legal liability. The topics overall for the the fall include special ed, bullying, which we'll be doing today, gender identity, excessive staff absenteeism, First Amendment rights for students and staff, addressing diversity, equity, and inclusion, and ensuring student safety. Let's, Let's dive into today's topic. Just a reminder, I'm an attorney. However, uh, I am not able to give you legal advice. What we're giving you today is a summary of the law only and is not meant as legal advice. Please consult your board attorney or your NJPSA attorney if you need legal advice. And that is a recommendation on a particular course of action. The biggest change in New Jersey's anti-bullying law for 2022-2023 was the passage of chapter Chapter 338 of the public laws of 2021 back in January of 2022. Now, Chapter 338 was drafted in response to the tragic death of a 12-year-old student by suicide. In the early stages of development, it was uh, described as Mallory's Law, so you may have heard about that. The final version uh, was signed into law on January 10th, 2022. And the final version was significantly improved for school districts and for principals based on the work of NJPSA's government relations team. They were able to secure a number of different amendments that made it a more workable bill for for schools. And that was the final version passed on January 10th. This bill impacts parental rights and responsibilities district protocols and reporting obligations, and defines a range of potential responses to acts of HIV and creates a new state level position, which we'll talk about later. The law revises provisions required in each school district's anti-bullying policy. So everybody is redoing their policies right now. It provides for civil liability of parents of minors adjudicated delinquent for cyber harassment or harassment and increases certain fines against parents. So there's greater parent responsibility. And for the plaintiff's attorneys in HIV cases, this was a big issue in terms of strengthening the act against the parents who maybe weren't doing as good a job as they should have with respect to their children. The cyber harassment crime sections became effective immediately in January. All other provisions were effective on July 1. So everything's in effect right now. So the first thing we're going to look at is the student crime of cyber harassment. 
Now, if a student does commit a crime of cyber harassment, it creates an option for municipal court, because that's where those cases go, to order that a minor under age 16, along with their parent or guardian, attend a class or training to reduce the tendency towards such behavior or raise awareness of dangers associated with cyber harassment. Now, the bill does not say who provides the training or what the training may be or what the class may be. We at NJPSA and Legal One think that there's a strong likelihood given the work that we've done that we may be the people they look to in terms of uh, classwork with respect to cyber harassment issues for, for these minors, students and parents. Additionally, a parent of a minor under 16 who's been adjudicated delinquent for cyber harassment, who fails to abide by the court ordered conditions. So if the parent doesn't abide by the court ordered conditions, they're deemed a disorderly person and can be fined for $100 for the first offense and $500 for each subsequent offense. So the parents of the students who commit a crime of cyber harassment can be fined within this uh, municipal court area. Also, Parents or guardians having legal custody of a minor who demonstrates willful or wanton disregard in the exercise of the supervision and control of the conduct of a minor adjudicated delinquent of cyber harassment. And that's a high bar. Willful or wanton disregard is a very high bar to reach. But if they do reach that, I mean, they really have to almost facilitate the bullying. But if they reach that, they can be uh, liable in civil action. So what does that mean? That means that the parents can be brought into a lawsuit, the parents can be held liable for damages and possibly attorney's fees. And this is a piece, it's limited to cyber harassment or harassment issues, but it's a piece that the plaintiff advocates have been looking at for a long time. There was a case probably about five, six years ago out of the Somerville area where the attorney for the student who was the victim of bullying brought the parents into the case as possible contributors to da a damage remedy. But in that particular case, the parents were deemed not to have acted in a willful or wanton manner with respect to the behavior. So there was no, were no damages against the parents in that. But that was the first time we had seen that occur. For school district policies, let's go to that. If your policy permits a preliminary determination by the principal, and that was part of the 2018 regulations. If that's permitted as to whether a reported incident is outside the scope of the definition of HIV, the superintendent shall provide an annual report to the board of the number of times a preliminary determination was made. And this is for the purposes of state monitoring. There will be documents that need to be filed with the state indicating how often that process is used. And there always has been some concern about making sure that everything gets investigated. And this is one of those checks and balances in that regard. With respect to the students themselves, the law for the first time spells out the exact consequences and, and remedial action for these students. So if you commit the first act of HIV, and that, it doesn't say within the year, so presumably that's ever, and the clock would start ticking July once, so we wouldn't go back into prior years, so the first time a student commits an act of HIV in the 2022-2023 school year, first thing that happens is a copy of the investigation results are placed in the student's record. The student may be subject to remedial actions, including provision of counseling or behavioral intervention services, discipline or both, as determined by the principal in consultation with appropriate school staff. So that's the first time. A second act of HIV, basically the same thing occurs. 
The copy of the investigation results are placed in the student's record. The student could be subject to remedial actions, including provision of counseling or behavioral intervention services, discipline, or both, again, as determined by the principal in consultation with appropriate school staff. And that would be counselors, the ABS, uh, other folks, school psychologists, other people who may be working with that student. Now, the new piece here in the third in each subsequent act of HIV, again, the investigation results are placed in the record. The principal, however, in a consultation with appropriate school staff, will develop an individual student intervention plan. So almost an HIV IEP, uh, uh, you know, plan for that student, a behavioral plan for that student, which shall be approved by the superintendent of schools or the superintendent's designee. And so this individual student plan will include remedial actions, possibly including counseling, behavior intervention services, or progressive discipline, or both. And it may require that the student, accompanied by a parent or guardian, complete a, in a satisfactory manner a class or training program to reduce HIV behavior. Again, the law doesn't indicate where that class would be. We're again thinking that with Legal One and NJPSA that we've done a lot of work in the HIV area, so we might be a good vehicle for that. But third act, fourth act, fifth act, continue going to the class, making sure you uh, complete that satisfactorily in an effort to reduce the HIV behavior. The superintendent of schools or designee and the principal will also be consulting with law enforcement in their area, pursuant to the provisions of the Uniform State Memorandum Agreement between education and law enforcement officials, if the student's behavior may constitute a possible violation of the New Jersey Code of Criminal Justice. And just as a reminder, we know that if there is an act of HIV, that involves a, involves a bias act, which includes anything that would involve a protected class, those incidents have to be reported to law enforcement as well. There's an administrative code provision to that effect. There's also a um, statute to that effect. And it's important that we make sure that those reports take place. We may talk about that later today. So let's talk about the reporting procedures. Once the principal gets an HIV report, and notifies the parents as, as they do on day one, the principal now must keep, you probably were doing this anyway, but the principal now must keep a written record of the date, time, and manner of notification to the parents or guardians. Email, October 5th, two o'clock in the afternoon, whatever it may be, and keep a record of that. All written reports, which get sent into the principal within two days, will now be on a numbered form developed by the New Jersey Department of Ed. We weren't quite sure initially what that form was gonna look like. There was a broadcast email on August 29th, so not really that far ago, that gave information about the implementation of the amendments and included the forms. We're gonna talk about that a little later in this podcast. The copy of the reports are promptly submitted by the principal to the superintendent in the schools. So that happens right away, that whole process of making sure that everybody's in a loop and everything gets followed up. Now, these forms are gonna be completed even if a preliminary determination by the principal is made, assuming the school district has a policy for that. The forms are kept on file at the school, but will not be included in the student record unless the incident results in disciplinary action or is otherwise required to be contained in the student's record under state or federal law. 
So if there's no violation of HIV found, it, it, these forms do not become part of the student record. But if there is, and there's discipline, it becomes part of the record. A redacted copy of this form that removes all student identification information will be confidentially shared with the board after the conclusion of the investigation if a hearing before the board is requested by a parent or guardian. We know that's part of the due process that's available that you can get a hearing before the board. If it gets there, then a redacted copy of the form um, that removes all the student identification information gets to the board members for their review and discussion at that time. The school district is also going to have to provide means for a parent or guardian to submit an online numbered form developed by the DOE to confidentially report any HIV incidents. There's always been the ability to report confidentiality or confidentially or anonymously. This form now provides that vehicle for an online reporting. And again, an online numbered form developed by the DOE would be used for that purpose. And that'll be placed up on your district website so people can access that. The principal will report to the superintendent if a preliminary determination is made under the policy that the report is outside the scope of an HIV investigation. What can happen, however, is that the superintendent may require the principal, may kick it back to conduct an investigation of the incident if the superintendent determines that an investigation is necessary because the superintendent believes the incident is within the scope of the HIV definition. So if the principal says, I don't think it is, it's not within the scope, we're gonna do code of conduct, sends that information to superintendent, superintendent looks at it and says, no, I don't think so, you need to do the investigation. It will then be sent to the anti-bullying specialist for the process that we follow for those. The superintendent's gonna notify the principal of this determination in writing. So there will be a written record of that referral back. Now, if that referral goes back, the same 10-day rules apply. The investigation will be completed as soon as possible, but not later than 10 school days from the date of the written notification from the superintendent to the principal to initiate the investigation. Principal will refer it to the anti-bullying specialist. The specialist will have 10 days to do that, just as we do in the normal course. Board policy. There's a requirement that the school district and each school in the district with a website post on its homepage the current version of the document Guidance for Parents on the Anti-Bullying Bill of Rights Act. That was developed by the Department of Ed in 2011. It has not been significantly updated. And the school climate state coordinator, the new position that's being created, must ensure that the document is updated and needed and then promptly disseminated to all school districts. There's a lot that's happened since 2011 in, in anti-bullying. So the climate state coordinator will have a lot to do to get that ready. I believe that position has not yet been filled. There's been a posting uh, for that position and we'll see who comes in there and we'll see what they do. Here is the position, the school climate state coordinator. It's established within the Department of Ed to serve as a resource to parents, students, and educators. There are a lot of duties and responsibilities for this position. There are annual reports, more than we can talk about today. But I call that to your attention. You can check that in the law. There are annual reports to the commissioner, state board, and legislature. Contact information for the state climate, state school climate state coordinator must be posted on the DOE website. The local school districts are going to post the same place as the anti-bullying policy. Any communications that the school climate state coordinator receives in the course of duties, including personally identifiable information regarding students, parents, and others, 
all are deemed confidential and shall not be disclosed in accordance with state and federal law. So everything that the coordinator gets is deemed confidential. With that in mind, I'd like to talk about the Department of Ed broadcast email that implements the amendments to the Anti-Billing Bill of Rights Act. And that broadcast email was sent out on August 29th, 2022, just before the start of the school year. Now, what, what was in that? Well, first, the Department of Ed revised its model policy for prohibiting HIV. It's re in reflecting the amendments to the Anti-Bullying Bill of Rights Act. Now, this is a large policy. It is 32 pages long, longer than most school district policies. But the model policy has been put together. It's accessible on the website. And I call that to your attention to take a look at. Your district is probably already doing that in terms of looking what they have and what the model suggests. I do know that when we look in certain areas of litigation with HIV, the uh, attorneys that litigate these matters often look at the model policy to see if it comports with, if your district policy comports with that policy in terms of possibly coming up with potential liability. So it's important one to take a look at and review. Now, the model policy contains a description of the new requirement where any board members, school employees, volunteers, contracted service providers, that's always a big one. So that's your bus drivers, your cafeteria workers, and your contract to a private company who have contact with students must submit a written report to the principal of the school using the numbered form developed by the Department of Ed within two school days of being made aware or witnessing any alleged acts of HIV. Now that timeline is not new, but the numbered form is. So that's an important point that the numbered form is now part of it. The new form, which is called an HIB338 form, was developed by the Department of Ed in consultation with stakeholders. It's designed to provide consistent reporting to be used by all local education associations and approved private schools for special ed uh, education school districts to report the allegations of HIV. There are two versions of the form, one for personnel and one for families and caregivers. Local districts are required to incorporate the exact forms into their procedures for reporting allegations of HIV. And school districts are required to provide a means for a caregiver to complete the form for families and caregivers online and confidentially. So the online and confidential reporting needs to be part of the process. There is a little controversy about the fact that the, for, the directions from the department seem to indicate that staff can report confidentiality, confidentially rather. Uh, that's not what the law seems to require. And so there have been conversations with NJPSA and Legal One and the Department of Ed people to kind of iron that out and clarify that area. For key steps for school districts coming up right now, first of all, local school districts must revise their HIV policies to reflect the amendments to the Anti-Bullying Bill of Rights Act. A copy of the revised policy must be submitted to the uh, Executive County Superintendent of Schools relevant to that school district. Local education authorities are also required to provide a link to the revised HIV policy and HIV 338 forms and add the contact information for the state school climate coordinator, which is hibhib at doe.nj.gov on the local education association well, authorities website. The recommendation for school districts is to visit the DOE website to review the model policy and frequently ask questions. This wraps up our podcast on understanding changes in New Jersey's anti-bullying law for 2022-2023. I'm Mike Kelber, 
the Legal One Coordinator for Online Course Development. If you have questions about the, today's program or want clarification on some of the new, uh, new changes for school districts and for principals, you can contact me at mkelber at njpsa.org. That's M-K-A-E-L-B-E-R at njpsa.org. And I would be glad to, to talk about it with you. I thank you again for your time and listening to our podcast and hope to hear, hope to be able to talk to you in future podcasts. Thanks and have a great day. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like more information on the topics we covered, a full list of episodes, or a preview of upcoming topics, please visit our website at www.njpsa.org legal1nj.